Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Richest Men in Town podcast. I'm Mike Freeman, and along with my good friend and co-host, Tyler Gould, we're excited to welcome you to our little podcast project. Tyler and I are just a couple of middle-aged husbands and dads driven to live our best lives. We want to be better every day, so here we'll be sitting down with great people, not famous people, but great people that we admire, to learn their secret to living the rich life. Probably not the rich life you're thinking of. Our guests come in humbled and surprised at the invitation and hopefully leave feeling proud and grateful, realizing just how good they really have it. So pull up a chair, stay a while, and raise a glass with us as we toast our guests to the richest men in town. All right, Tyler Gould, how are you? I am great, Mike Freeman. It's, uh, it's, it's always a good, a, a good thing when we're having this talk after we've just spent a little time with, uh, with an incredible guest, right? Yeah, you know, and we've uh, we've had all kinds. We've had all kinds of folks on on our show, but I can honestly tell you that our time with Dick Moody tonight. Actually, let's let's be proper. Our time with retired Air Force Colonel Richard Moody was uh, the stuff of of kind of legends, right? Yeah, I I mean it was so much fun, and I've been looking to our looking forward to our time with uh with dick for the for a couple months now we we were introduced to him uh a couple months ago we had a a pre-show call with him a couple months ago and so it's sort of been uh on my radar screen to 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 have this chat with dick yeah hey and all of our guests we love them absolutely but i gotta tell you some dates on the calendar might be circled in red right (laughs) yeah really looking forward to the thursday night when we have some time with uh, with with Dick Moody. All right. So what what do you uh, what do you take away? Who is Dick, who is Dick Moody, and what can our listeners look forward to? I mean, he he's a guy that that is always looking to help people out, and that's one of the things that I really loved about our conversation with him. I mean, he runs a a, a nonprofit uh, charitable organization called Operation Troop Support, and they supply. Uh, gifts and 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 goods to to soldiers that are overseas that maybe aren't aren't being uh, taken care of and and uh, you know he did that uh, he started that because someone called his daughter called him and asked him to help out and he's been doing it for 18 years i mean he's just an incredible guy with a great attitude and you know what's funny mike tonight he gave us maybe gave us a little bit of perspective on the state of the world, didn't he? Yeah, no, it's so true. You know, we hear words like authenticity and we, we talk about that a lot and vulnerability. And we talk about that a lot. I think a word that is thrown out there that uh, maybe we don't quite understand is that, is that empathy. Yeah. You know, empathy, meaning Richard Moody knows what it was like to be a soldier. Yeah. He knows what it was like to be overseas and he knows how important a little something from home is when you're overseas. So here he is, phone call. He has an opportunity to step into that space and he doesn't look back. He embraces it. One million care packages later. Let that sink in. One million care packages. He shares some amazing stories. But then we, in true richest men in town fashion, we got to dig deeper. Yeah. Right. We got to find out. No, talk to me. Talk to me, Dick, about your parents. Yeah, right. I, I thought it was I thought it was great when he, you know, he talked about the example of his parents. But then he said, you know, they didn't really preach it. They just lived it. And it must have wore off on me. And man, did it ever. Right. 
and, <laughs> yeah. and, and, then, and that, and that wearing off process is generational because guess what? It just happens to be wearing off on his kids. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> yeah. I, I think he's a study of, he would uh, call it wear off. You would call it modeling. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Yeah. And I think, you know, he, he's a study in, in someone that uh, chooses to do the right thing for the right reasons. And, uh, you know, he talked a lot about leadership tonight and just that sometimes people just have to step up. It may not be comfortable and you may not want to do it, but someone's got to. Man, he, he's a patriot, yeah. right? He, he, he says, I'm patriotic. I love my country. And it's almost like you can cut him open and look in his heart and it would be about the troops. Oh, absolutely. Like yeah. it would just be 100% about the troops. Lifelong career Air Force guy. Um, I, I just love, you know, we're like trying to figure it out, right? You and me are looking at this guy like, who is this guy? And how, how does he get into this role? And he just says, hey, you know what, guys? I found a way that I could give. Yeah. And it's like, how great would it be if we could all just find a way to give? Right. And how us? great would it be if we were all just searching for a way to give? Right. I mean, yeah. I, I, I love that whole thing. And I, I think it's, uh, you know, we, it's, it's funny because over the past few months, we've, we've had a lot of guests talk about hope and talk about the importance of hope. And tonight in my, in our conversation with Dick Moody, I came away with a renewed uh, vision of hope because man, if there's, if there's people like Dick Moody in the world, we're in a good place. But people like Dick Moody need us. Right. So, so we threw it down. I don't know if you remember me and my big mouth. We challenged Drew Barrymore, Drew Barrymore recognized operation troop support and threw down some cash thousand bucks sent it their way these guys need that cash because they have to pay postage to send to u.s troops there ought to be a law against that yeah right mail going to troops should be free whatever uh we'll work on that but <laughs> right. check this out so so tyler nobody pays a thing to listen to us right that's right what if if what if everybody that listened to this episode went to operationtroopsupport.org and dropped five bucks. Be a great thing. I, you would, and I uh, bet you, you and I, I bet you the intern would check the richest men in town mailbox and there would be a thank you letter from Richard Moody saying, hey guys, thanks a lot. Oh yeah, right? you could, Made you a could huge count difference. on that. Yeah, yeah. The average but, care package costs 17 bucks. And he and sent yeah, a million of them. One yeah. million, over a million, right? Yeah. So. And, he's, and he, he mentioned, you know, the plan is to pull U.S. troops out of Afghanistan, but he said there will always be people in harm's way. Yeah. And so if we can get behind a cause for a bit, I'm all in, right? I'm all in as well. I'm all yeah. in. Let's, let's, let's use our little megaphone, mega, megaphone and, and uh, turn people uh, Dick Moody's way. To the volunteers out there in Dick's world, in Massachusetts over there. Hey, thank you. Right. Thank you for seeing a way to help a brother out, to help a guy out. And, you know, he says he's got a hundred, 150 volunteers that come through his, his place every, every year. And, uh, I, I picture youth groups, right. I picture the boy scouts. I picture just people getting involved because they want to be part of something good. And I think we all want to be part of something good. And if we can do something to help our troops, I'm all in. So Sergio Carzoli, where are you at? Kiefer Marino, where are you at? 
right? Brian Beverly. <laughs> We're going to start just calling out, hey, Clint Watkins, you're a vet. <laughs> get on there and, and let's donate and let's help some out lots of ways to give you can give money you can give supplies that they end up using for care packages but man there's just people that are a long ways away from home and a little bit of something could yeah, go and we'll, we'll make sure that we have all that information in our show notes everyone can can get on there we'll you know we'll, we'll look about uh putting a link on our website for for them as well but uh but yeah, even I mean, beyond even beyond the five bucks yeah. The lesson we get from Dick Moody is the phone rang and he answered it. That's right. And so the That's question right. to the town, the question to our listeners is with phone rings, are we willing to answer it? If we see a need, are we willing to drop everything and help out or are we walking by? Yeah. Hmm. Got to, got to do something, right? Got to do something. We got to step up and, and that idea of, 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 of lift where we stand. We're all over the place. We're in Ireland, right? That's right. We're in Canada. We're in North, We're in 47 countries. This, this podcast lift where you stand. Yeah. I think, I think, uh, t- tonight, uh, it, it'll be a great uh, opportunity to listen to someone who's passionate and, uh, and, and compassionate. Right. And, and oh, uh, don't even get me started on the compassionate. Right. But like, uh, yeah. They see something and they're compelled to move to do something about it. Yeah. And I love that. And that's like Michael Burke and hope, right? Absolutely. You, you, the future can be better than it is today and you can do something about it. And for kicks, we got as close to Bedford Falls as we've ever been. That's true. That's <laughs> true. And I think Dick might have known the characters of the movie even better than we do. Yeah. So it, it was a lot of fun tonight. Yep. Well, <clears throat> Tyler, I want to thank you for the time. I want to thank our guest, Dick Moody, for the way he shows up. Uh, our, our listeners are going to love his stories. They're going to love, you know, it's a little bit of a throwback. You imagine going to the mailbox as a, as a college graduate and checking the mail and it's from Uncle Sam and he wants you to join his army. He doesn't want you to. He needs you to. Right? Yeah. And, and Dick's life changes on a, on a hinge. So uh, I love this. I love this work. I love the conversations that we have. Conversations build community and we need community now more than ever. So to the richest men in town community, thank you for your support. Like us, review us. More importantly, at the water cooler, if you're still hanging out at a water cooler, share, right? Share some of the stories, share some of the conversations that you're listening to here so that we might be able to all just try to be better. All right. So with that, take some notes. It's not what he says. It's what we do with what he says. Enjoy, uh, Lieutenant, enjoy uh, Air Force retired Colonel Richard Moody on this episode of The Richest Men in Town. Tyler Gould, man, how are you? Fantastic, man. I'm excited about tonight. Hey, you know what? Uh, it worked. We put out a call, right? We say, Hey folks, if you know of some good people, if you hear some cool stories, give us a shout out, right? Connect us with some people living rich lives and we'll go track people down. And wouldn't you know it, Wes Frank's the sinister one, the sinister one, the sinister one. He denies watching Drew Barrymore. He said his wife was watching Drew Barrymore. I don't believe it. For a <laughs> the second. Drew Barrymore show and the Drew Barrymore show throws out this uh, Operation Troop Support and a guy named uh, Dick Moody. Yeah, 
Yeah. And he's doing some good things. They're out of Danvers, uh, Massachusetts. So we've got another veteran, right? Shout out to our vets that we've had. Actually, we've had vets. We have vet, we've had veterans and vets. See what I did there? We've had them both, man. Yeah, we've had them both. Yeah. But we've never really had anybody that has been mentioned on the Drew Barrymore show. That we have not. So we'll have to be dropping some of that in the notes, right? Yeah. And uh, I'm, I'm excited to jump over to the East Coast and uh, ch- check in with Mr. Richard Moody and uh, see, what, uh, see what Operation Troop Support is up to. I, I, I don't think we should wait a moment longer, to be honest with you. Well, I'm, I'm looking here and he's in the waiting room. So what do you say? Let's bring him in, man. Let's bring him in. Thank you, Wes Franks, for connecting us with uh, Mr. Richard Moody. And uh, Mr. Moody, welcome to the Richest Men in Town podcast. How are you? Excellent. Thank you very much for inviting me. Well, we're excited to we're excited to have you here. You and I, uh, Tyler and I, reached out to you a little while ago and uh, told you we'd heard your story and we wanted you to come on our podcast. And here we are. Wonderful. Looking forward to it. How are things in Massachusetts? Well, today was absolutely gorgeous. Sun's out. In fact, I jumped in my pool for the first time. Oh, hey. yeah. That's jumped pretty right good. back out, too. <laughs> but it, it was nice. It was refreshing. That's great. That's great. Well, well uh, you know, your weather's better than ours. Shocker right now. I can't believe that. Wow. <laughs> it's, been, it's been cold. It's been rainy. But the last couple of days have been absolutely gorgeous. Nice. Good to have some sunshine. That's it for sure. sure. Is. Well, we're excited to have you here on the on the show with us. We appreciate you 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 making some time for us tonight to to spend a little bit of time with us. Uh, you know, it what's it been, Mister Moody? It's been a, a couple, gosh, maybe a month or two ago that we spoke, and uh, I've been looking forward to spending some time with you uh, since our first discussion. If I'm not mistaken, Tyler, I think we teared up when we were on the call. Yeah, I with was, uh, uh, we're on the pre-show call with. Uh, let's let's get some formalities out of the way here, Mr. Moody. How would you like us to refer you, uh, Dick? All right, go by Dick. We'll, we'll go okay. with Dick Moody. All right, because you're also you're also a veteran, right? I am 23 years in the Air Force. All right, 23 years retired Air Force. What was your rank in the Air Force, sir? I was a colonel. All right. Well, uh, we'll throw a colonel out there every once in a while just to just to honor and respect you for your service. We appreciate you. Great. Thank you. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so Dick, we, uh, we were touched just in our, in our pre-show call as we, as we checked in with you and, and got a little bit of the origin of the story. I was telling Tyler and, and those listening before you came on that um, we want to throw a huge shout out to Wes Franks because he heard of your group. Your organization was mentioned on the Drew Barrymore show. Yes, it was. That was a surprise to us. That's a big, that's a big deal, Dick. So that's a, that, congratulations on that recognition. She threw you a chunk of change, I heard. Well, they, she did. It seems like uh, one of the volunteers who worked with us uh, wrote her a letter and said, this is a good group. We'd love you to pay attention. And she turned around and uh, sent a thousand dollars to us. And, wow. you know, uh, since we spend our money on postage uh, to the troops, that $1,000 was a lot. And uh, I sat down and I wrote her a very nice thank you note because it meant so much to us. Well, yeah. that's, that, that, that is wonderful to hear. So, Dick, let's just put things in perspective. 
we are not a nationally syndicated talk show. <laughs> right. We are not Drew Barrymore. Uh, <laughs> but we've got a little project happening here. We've got a few listeners. And so we're going to see, we're going to try to rally around your cause with this. All right. Okay, great. Looking forward. And Tyler, we're going to try to, We're going to put a shout out. We're going to try to see what we can do with this and maybe just challenge that Drew Barrymore and see if we could throw, throw a few bucks towards uh, Operation Troop Support as well. Yeah, I think so. And I think, you know, we've got a lot of, Nick, we've had a lot of guests and our past guests that have been uh, uh, former members of the military that have served in different branches of the military. And, and we've got a lot of listeners who... Uh, either have family that are that are currently active, actively serving, or those that have uh, served in the past. So I think that uh, anything that has to do with supporting the troops is uh, is is a, a cause that our listeners can get behind for sure. Well, I appreciate that, especially this time of year with Memorial uh, Day just a week away. Yeah, just yeah. To think corner. about it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think I think it's a perfect time, and we're fresh off of our first uh, interview with an Army Ranger. So uh, good. We're uh, like Tyler said, we've got a few friends that have have worn the uniform of our country, and and uh, we can't we can't do enough to recognize recognize them, to recognize their efforts, to recognize what you guys are up to. So so Dick, this show is called Richest Men in Town, and long ago, up in a town up in your neck of the woods. Uh, real or fictitious there's a town called bedford falls and there was a movie called it's a wonderful life <laughs> yes it was great great movie great, great movie. movie we love it and uh we are in pursuit of looking for people living that george bailey kind of life okay right? where george bailey uh you know adversity some you know some challenges some lessons learned the hard way you know but about faith and about family and and uh living living life the right way and we would love to get into your life but first talk to us about this operation troop support talk to us about what it is you're doing and 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 how this thing came to be okay like thanks for the uh allowance to do that yeah uh, when i came back from vietnam everybody remembers the uh anybody that was uh alive at that time remembers the uh welcome home we got, which was pretty bad. And, uh, you know, I think that that kind of resonated with us a lot. And uh, I wanted to make certain that none of my family had to go through that kind of a, uh, uh, basically a, a rough time as, as I did. Uh, when my daughter went to overseas in Iraqi freedom, she was a nurse in the Air Force. Uh, she called me uh, on March of 2003 and uh, one night and asked if uh, we could help out. My wife and I could help out by sending things over to her to give to the patients who were uh, trying to recover. Pain of recovery was a lot and she wanted to do something for them. So that's how we started. And that was 2003 about uh, 17, 18 years ago. And uh, in that time, uh, we built up uh, quite a following of people that could help. It's all volunteers. We don't, we don't take any salaries or any other thing. But um, unfortunately, we do have to pay the postage. 
Uncle Sam needs to get some money. <laughs> and, right. uh, and it's expensive when you think of it because we send a care package box and it's about $17 to mail it. But we send about 150 a week. So wow. that's wow. a, yeah, that's a very large uh, chunk of, uh, of money that we have to put out. Uh, and since 2003, we have sent over 1 million care packages to soldiers across the globe. It's quite a feat for, uh, you know, for starting out uh, with just a few volunteers. Hey, can, uh, I, can I stop you there really quick? Sure. Did you have any idea when you started that in March 2003 that you would see a million care packages come through your organization? No, I did not. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, I had also served in, uh, in Desert Storm. And as everybody knows, that was only like, you know, a couple of months. So when my daughter said, could you help us out? I said, sure, no problem. Probably won't be more than a couple of months. And uh, we're still going strong today. Yeah. Uh, it's, Dick, do you, you remember know, how many packages you sent out on that first, that when she first asked you to send some packages? Do you remember what that number was like? Uh, we sent about uh, 15 or 16. Wow. And uh, we, uh, we thought that was really great. Well, we started to get all kinds of feedback from the soldiers that received them because she would get them and she would uh, hand them out. And the care packages were big enough so that somebody could take what he wanted or she wanted and pass it out to the other guys in the unit. And of course they said, how do I do this? And so eventually we got a very good system down and we were getting uh, uh, correspondence all the time. Please add me to your list. And in addition to that, uh, that mailing, we also noticed that the families in our area back home were really having a, uh, a struggle while their loved one was deployed. And so because of our background, we started a family support group uh, to help the, uh, the wives or husbands, uh, as it was, to help them. And uh, wow. that proved to be very, very, very good as well. Is that support group still going, going today? We actually stopped that just a few years ago. Okay. And the, and the reason was that uh, we had so many multiple deployments that the families were kind of used to what, what was going on. Right. Yeah. So we found that uh, the participation was dwindling. Okay. Well, that's, that's quite, that's quite a feat to go from, uh, Hey, Hey dad, can you help us out and send me a few packages and you, you send 15 or 16 and, and here we are with over a million uh, uh, so far and, and, and growing. I mean, that's quite, that's quite the growth. Well, it is. And it's funny because I think about how one quick phone call could change the direction in our life. It was just amazing because that really has uh, taken a whole new aspect of what we do. My wife and I, you know, do, and we wouldn't have it any other way because uh, the guys that come home, uh, you know, they come to you and they said, you would not believe how that helped. You didn't even know me and you sent me something and uh, it brought them to tears. Well, these, these soldiers uh, are constant and uh, it just makes it all worth it.
Yeah. So, Dick, really quick, uh, what's your wife's name? My wife's name is Christine. Christine. C-H. Okay. Okay. And you had other kids serve as well, not just your daughter, right? Uh, That's right. I have my son uh, who served for 20, 23 years, and he was a, uh, a police officer, again, in the Air Force. I never forced my kids to go Air Force, but they were used to the life, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, my, my daughter was a nurse in the Air Force. My son was a cop. And, uh, and those are the two of my four that actually went in and followed in the footsteps. Okay, cool. The interesting thing about it is in 2005, my son, my daughter, and I were all in Iraq at the same time. So Christine had, you know, quite a, quite a go of it while we were uh, all over there, you know, uh, in danger. But when I come back. Wow. So, so she was, she was actively serving at the time and you and you and your son was that, was he actively serving as well? Yeah. My son and daughter were actively serving. I had retired. Okay. But the Air Force called me back. I retired in 93. Okay. The Air Force called me back in 2005. Uh, because I was, uh, my specialty was uh, construction and planning for construction with, uh, you know, the uh, uh, women-owned uh, um, firms. Okay. And what the government was trying to do was, now that we had had a a lot of uh, uh, a lot of de- demolition over there, they were trying to build the country back up. And what better way to do it than to use these uh, local talent? And they had some brilliant young women over there that came to the States, got their engineering degrees, and went back, and Saddam wouldn't allow them to work. So my job was to get them back up to speed. And as a result, we had, when I was there, I awarded 12 contracts to Iraqi women-owned firms. And... uh, they took a huge chunk out of the, um, out of the renovation. Wow. That is fantastic. That's, that's kind of a cool way to stick it to Saddam Hussein as well. Right. Well, rebuild the, rebuild the country with the talent he ignored. Yeah. We felt pretty good about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of cool. So, Hey, in this, in this conversation, Dick, I can't help but think of, uh, you mentioned that hinge moment of that phone call. Yes. Right? I can't help but think, though, that that there's there, there's a little bit more to the story, right? As far as you growing up and the kind of young man you were, and and who your parents were, and that's kind of where we we love to dig in that dirt, Dick. We love to get in there, and we love to be able to to ask, right? Well, uh, yeah, and, and I'm willing to talk about it. They, uh, I grew up in a very very good family. Uh, I had a stable home. Where, where was home? Where was home? Uh, that was uh, about three streets over. Oh, wow. Wow. That's <laughs> great. <laughs> I went, came home to roost, you know? Uh, so uh, uh, we had a, we had a good home. Uh, my, my mom and dad were married for 65 years. Uh, they had a very strong ethic. Uh, no means no. Yes means yes. You know, that kind of thing. Uh, Don't overextend yourself. Don't buy things until you get the money. Uh, Go to church all the time. Uh, Be nice to people. Uh, You know, that kind of thing. And that 
that, as I got older, I realized it, it rubbed down on me. Uh, Christine and I have been married for 52 years. My son's just celebrating his 25th. So, uh, you know, it, it works out well. Yeah. They did growing up. Did they, did they teach it or did they, did they live it? Did they talk about they, it? They, they just lived it, you know? And, and at the time I didn't think a whole lot about it until I realized that a lot of that had just, just worn off on, on me, you know? And Christine had the same, uh, same type of upbringing. So it worked out really well for us. And I thank God every day that, that uh, he gave me parents like, like the ones I had. Yeah. Wow. Wow. How do you, how do you honor them today? Well, I think probably the easiest way is to say that we carry on the teaching that they gave us. Uh, they taught us to be ethical people. They taught us to be moral. Uh, they taught us to honor our partner and, and you know, stay married. Um, and those are, those are so critical, especially in today's society, that I'm glad we're able to weather a lot of the storms because of their teaching. And I think by doing that, uh, we are really honoring them. Well, hey, I've got an anniversary coming up. Good. And uh, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to celebrate 23 years this Sunday. So do you have any advice for me? Yeah, you know, uh, let's go for another one, you know, <laughs> just keep it coming. And, uh, the one thing I realize that uh, as the years go on, uh, the more my wife and I stayed together, the more we understood each other and it made life that much easier. And, uh, you know, now I, I just kind of look at the refrigerator and she gets me a sandwich. It's wonderful. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> when you were you were talking about the Operation Troop Support, you mentioned that you know you've had people come back and say to you how much that meant to them. Yes. What what has what has Operation Troop Support meant to you over the years? It pro the probably the biggest thing it's meant to me is that I have found a way that I can give and. I don't look for any return, but just in knowing that I'm helping out some of our folks that have been willing to put their life on the line, this is so important to me. I'm a very patriotic person. I'm in charge of the veterans in my town. It means a lot to me. And to see that there is a way that I can give back to them, uh, that's all the, all the payment I need right there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, it, it's, it's interesting because you, you, you said earlier, this is a, this is a volunteer organization, right? And, and That's right. nobody's making a dime. So I, yeah, I, I would really, Mike and I, I know are, are excited about getting your information out to our listeners, because I think that, uh, you know, we, we have, I know Mike and I, I can speak for Mike here. You know, we, we feel the same way with the love of our country and, and the, the pride that we have in, in those that have served and, and, uh, and some of those have been on this show and, and anything that we can do to help out is, a, is an amazing well, thing. And I, and I just think the longevity, Dick, of your organization, uh, pushing out a million packages, man, that is, that is a big deal. That's a big deal. Well, it is when you consider, well, could I, I don't like to think this way, but 
I didn't have to pay for that postage, that would have been $17 million I could use to help the soldiers in other ways, you know? Yeah. But, well, there uh, ought to be a law. Yeah, that's right. You, you know, it's funny you mentioned that because we have public packs, which means anybody can just come off the street and uh, we set up a time and a date and people can come down and we'll put out three or 400 packages in just a couple of hours. And when people come in and see what we do, see how orderly they are and find out we have to pay, there are responses that I get on a pretty much continuous basis. Things such as, well, I know the postmaster general. I'm going to change that. And we never hear from him again. So anything <laughs> you can do will be great. Well, let, let me ask you that just uh, this question. We'll uh, get this one out of the way, but I think it's important now that we're talking about it. But how, how can people contribute to Operation Troop Support? Thank you for asking me that. Uh, first of all, we have a website, uh, and it's Operation Troop Support. Dot org. We are a 501c3. And if you go on there, it does tell how to donate. It tells how uh, they have the list of things that uh, people can, uh, can get to send over. And I, I would like to stress one thing. Every day we're getting packages in from California, Colorado, Wyoming, Florida, uh, because people don't really understand what they have to do to send the package overseas yeah. and they know we do. So they're willing to spend the money to sh ship everything up to us. And then we go ahead and send it out. So it's not just a local organization. Right. Well, I, we, we will certainly make, make sure that, that that website is in our, our show notes and that we promote that on, on our website uh, and drive as much as we can to, to your website. It's a, it's a great. Thank company. you. Thank you. Big help. And Dick, like when you talk about volunteer organization, volunteer only, do you have any idea how many volunteers you you use on a on a regular basis? Is I mean, uh, is there a number you can throw out there? Because that's got to be a quite an operation. That it's kind of a tough one to figure because people come and they help, and then they have their own lives to do, and then they'll come back a few months later. Meanwhile, we have others that come in. Uh, we we have a list of volunteers that are probably in the 100, 150 range. Uh, we certainly don't need them all, all the time. You know, when right. we're putting something out, we might need 15, 20, or 25, you know. But uh, uh, we never quite know who's going to come because it's volunteers. But uh, most of the time, we have more people than we actually need. And my job is really easy. So at looking at the looking at the the history of this, where was it where you guys realized this is going to be longer than a couple months? Right? No. Was there was there a moment where you realized that you're in well, and you're committed for you, the long you think haul? That, you think that it, I'd see a doorway up there, or a window <laughs> or something, but you know we just kept doing it day after day after day. And uh, finally, somebody said something to me uh, when we started to hear rumors that we were pulling out of Iraq and everybody got all excited. Like recently, we've heard we're pulling out of Afghanistan. Right. The problem is there's always going to be somebody in harm's way. And 
those somebodies are going to need some help. So yeah. it might not, might not be the same country, but chances are it's going to still be a, a, a need there. I'm, I'm curious, Dick, you know, can we back up again? I want to, I want to rewind a little bit more and I want to talk about um, your, your service for, for just a minute, touch on that in the, in the air force. Was, was that a, the plan of yours all along growing up that you wanted to be in the military? I mean, where did that, that desire to serve come from? Well, it's strange because if you remember back to the uh, late sixties, either you were drafted or you signed up for a, you know, uh, one of the military services. Uh, I had, I had it all. I got, I got my notice for draft. I had checked into the different services and I found that the Air Force was the one that I wanted. So I went down got my flight physical and, uh, and the draft board left me alone because another, another organization picked me up. So uh, that's how I started in, uh, in 1970. And uh, so when you I, get that, when you get that draft notice, what is that? What does that uh, feel like? That sounds like another hinge moment, right? Where well, whatever you had planned. Yeah, you know, that kind of ruined my camping trip. That's when I got it. When I <laughs> was camping trip. And they said, Uncle Sam, and it's just like you hear in the older days. It says, greetings. Uncle Sam would like you. And we said, okay, not doggone time. I do something. So that's kind of how it starts. And what that means is they tell you to come down, get a physical, and if assuming you pass the physical, uh, there is a, a written test, which is pretty, pretty easy. And you pass the written test and you got your physical, then generally speaking, at the same day that you pass your physical, you're on your way to boot camp. And uh, that could be depending on which branch of the service you're in eight weeks, 12 weeks, or even longer. And uh, that's, that's quite an eye opener uh, to some people that are used to having a, a pretty easy life. Uh, because the, the boot camp that I went to, uh, they were a little different than they are today. Because today, there's too much emphasis on, you know, correctness, you don't want to hurt the people and things like that. Right. Not, not so in the olden days. Uh, they did some uh, pretty straight uh, training. Uh, yeah. Mine was 12 weeks. I had it all set up that I was going to get married two days after I came out. Wow. Three days before I came out, I got bitten by a rattlesnake. And my wife was absolutely convinced I was trying anything to get out of the wedding. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. So I made it home on time. Luckily, it got my boot and didn't go through. So uh, I got home and we had a wonderful wedding. And uh, that was in 70. And then I went to pilot training. After pilot training, I went to a various variety of bases and uh, uh, served in. I think I sat down when I retired and figured out there were uh, 15 countries and four continents that I was rummaging around during my time. Went from Mozambique way down in South Africa up to Vietnam and North Korea, the Gaza Strip, Israel, all of the, um, all of the garden spots, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
how did how did you and your wife meet? I mean, the pilot thing helps with the girls, right? Maybe that. Well, maybe that was part we, of it. We found the insurance thing helped. We were both working in John Hancock Insurance. Oh, I, really? Okay. I, I walked in one day. I was an underwriter, and I saw her, and I said, "She's the one for me." And uh, we went out for uh, about uh, four or five weeks, and I gave her a ring, and uh, we've been together ever since. Get wow, out of here! Awesome. Get nope. out of here! So you see her, and it, you know. Yeah, we started going out uh, on October 13th, and actually it was Christmas that I gave her the ring, so November, December, you know, and then I went away for three months to uh, uh, officer training school, and that, when I came back, we were both kind of looking at each other, making sure this is the person that we still think he is, <laughs> right. and we got married the next day. <laughs> wow, that is, that, is, that is an awesome story. That yeah. is an awesome story. I love Wouldn't it. have it any other way though. Yeah. Hey, hey, Dick. I don't. We we try to, we try to stay above the political fray on mm -hmm. this show. Um, as you look at the world today, what do we need? What's missing? Right. I I, I look. I I listen longingly as you talk about those days, and I I have in my heart that it can be that simple. That it can still be time-tested values. It can be commitment. It can be, right? I'm in this marriage, come hell or high water, right? Like, but when you look around, what's what's missing in the world around you that maybe we hadn't in those days? Well, well, let me tell you what keeps me going here. I think uh, I do a lot of reading, and uh, I just got through reading a book. Uh, on uh, that took place in 1919, right after World War One, and if you read the condition of the cities back then, there was looting, there was people breaking and entering, there was just awful things going on. They were chasing the police down, and as I was reading, I had to make sure I wasn't just reading the local newspaper, you know, <laughs> right? Yeah, just like what's going on. And then before that, I had read a book on World War II. And World War II was about 20 years later or so. And now after World War II and all of our guys and gals came home, very similar things happened. It was just awful. And then uh, we went a little further and I got up to the 60s. And I know what happened. I couldn't even get into my student union building in the 60s because a different group had taken it over. And I don't know what happened in the 80s. I don't recall anything, but uh, now we're going through the same thing that uh, it seems to be a, a little bit more serious, but I'm hoping that where we got out of the 1990s and the 19, I mean, 1919s and the 1946s uh, and the 1960s, we're going to get out of this one too. Yeah. So I have a, uh, I have a feeling that, you know, if I wait it out and God doesn't leave us, it's going to be okay. Yeah. The only I thing that, that I am concerned about, only thing I'm concerned about is that what's going on in the world today, they're hitting the younger people very strong. Yeah. And 
you know, you don't have, they don't have the benefit of history. And I don't know how that's going to impact us. It's interesting, Mike, because you, Mike, you said, you know, you asked what's missing. And then I'm listening to you talk, Dick, about, you know, these past, you know, times where we've had similar issues. And I just wonder, you know, maybe, maybe nothing's missing, right? What's missing maybe is some choices, some decisions, you know? I mean, we well, have, I think... we have those things in front of us, right? We all yeah. have, we, we know the, the, the kind thing to do or the right thing to do. It's just making that, that decision. When I think of a couple of thoughts, right? I mean, perspective is missing, right? Yeah. Dick's answer is perfect. Put, yeah. Let's put things, let's keep things in perspective because yeah. Rome was pretty rough too, right? Like right. It, you it's go. always, it's always been a little rough, but, yeah. um, you know, I think that, I think that you're right, Tyler, that it's never been easy to do the right thing. Yeah. Because that's the right I, thing. I will, t- I would like to relate this very short story to you. Yeah. When I was in Israel, I, um, and uh, this is not a political statement, but when I was there, I was walking through uh, Bethlehem. No, I'm sorry, Jerusalem. And um, I had two people waiting on me on a particular, uh, particular little market uh, place. And we got to talk and both of them were just so friendly. And it turned out that one was Jewish and the other one was Muslim. And I stopped and I said to both of them, like, I like to poke the bear every so often. I said to both of them, you guys get along great. You know, how long, uh, isn't there any kind of friction or problem? And they both looked at me and the Muslim person said, you get away from the radicals and the politicians and we could all live in harmony. And boy, that, mm-hmm. that one phrase just stuck with me. And it, you could almost apply that to any part of the, any part of the world. Yeah, that's so Well, true. but how appropriate right now. Yeah, right? yeah, really. How appropriate that comment and that thought as we look at that region of the world right now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, harmony. and I think obviously we can apply that here, right? Everyone seems to be yeah. Yeah. wants to divide things so uh, everything's so black and white. But I love that answer. That hey, well, we it's that pendulum swing, those. right? Yeah, it's the pendulum swing and it's the extremes. It's the yeah. re- political rhetoric and it's the it's the radicalism of 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 things versus hey, can we can we can we go to the market together? Right. Can yeah. we break right. bread? Right. Let's Building that still sense have a of silent community. majority, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. When I think key to building this community is kind of what this shows about Tyler is the idea of conversation, like intentional conversation, and maybe even more important, intentional conversation with people that maybe don't see the world like you do. You know, that's very true. I'm I'm curious, Dick, when, when you came home from your service in Vietnam, you, you alluded to the fact that the welcome obviously wasn't, uh, wasn't there right it was it very, there was a lot of opposition to that uh to to that and and the troops bore the brunt of that on their arrival home what can you talk a little bit about what the what the difference is now i mean your organization is working with with these troops that are that are being deployed on a regular basis and i think correct me if i'm wrong but the feeling is a, a whole lot different 
today than it was when you came back from your service in Vietnam? Yeah, and probably very simple is that the public tended to blame the soldier in Vietnam. You know, we were the baby killers. We were the people that they didn't want us there. And we went there stirring up the country. Today, it's a different type of, uh, different type of persona. Right now, a uh, uh, person who serves can come back and be welcomed back. Whereas in the 1960s, we couldn't. And we were told my first assignment after I got back was do not wear your uniform off base. And mm-hmm. that was a standard you know, directive. Interesting. Because you would be harassed or even attacked. Did, how, how has that experience coming home uh, during that time influenced your interaction or your involvement with the troops that you, that you deal with? I think the strongest uh, answer to that is I, from what I can do, I want to make sure that the men and women who are serving our country overseas know that people back home care for them. And that's important because when we were in Vietnam, uh, besides the uh, stray letter from home, we never heard what was going on in the country as far as what their attitude toward the soldiers were. I just want to make sure that people know that we've got their back, you know? So can we, can we extend that conversation a little bit about your homecoming? Because I'm starting to think, I'm starting to put Mike Freeman in your shoes. And maybe I go out and I serve my country because I got a letter saying Uncle Sam needed me. And I go serve and I come back and my country isn't loving me. How do you not... How do you not let bitterness in, Dick? Awful lot of people let bitterness in. And but you didn't. Uh, no, I didn't. And I think that it all boils back down to I, I feel like I had a very stable upbringing and I was able to tell between right and wrong. And I knew serving my country was right. Uh, the fact that some people are yelling the fact that some people tore my medals off, the fact that some people took my hat and called me baby killer, that's them. You know, I feel bad for them, but I know that I did the right thing. So that kept me from getting very hostile. And that, that's that, crazy. That is an amazing thought, right? It I is mean, an amazing about thought. How you apply that to your life now. Like, you know, I mean, I think of young people. If I could, if I could give anything to my kids, it's that, that they would know in their heart what is right and come hell, like whatever happens around you, regardless of circumstance, we do what's right. Or we get it right if we mess up, right? I'm not right. saying we're perfect. Right. The effort is there in the right direction, right? And, the- and you're not doing it subject to approval. You're doing it because it's the right so, thing to do. And if, and if you were the only person on the earth, that was believing it was the right thing to do. You'd still do it because it's the right thing to do. Now, I, I'd like to, I'd mm. like to throw in an editorial comment. Right yeah. Here. This, I think you've earned the right. Th- this yeah. was amazing. Uh, you folks sent me, I think Mike sent me a list of areas with questions that you might touch on. I went down through those questions 
And man, they were good. They were questions that made me think, you know, who do you want to, what, what the, oh, there's so many of the, uh, you talked about the, uh, what's the term you use, uh, the little hinges. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, that one got me. I, I, I sat there and thought about that. There are so many good points that you guys brought up on that one little piece of paper that by the time I got through reading it, I felt really good. I felt like, you know what? There's so many things to be thankful for that I actually forgot about uh, today's newspaper. You know, there were so many things to reflect on. And I wanted to make sure you and everybody else in your organization knows that. That is a very healthy thing you do. Well, we appreciate that. That editorial (laughs) comment, Dick, for sure. Thank you very much for sharing that. I love that because, because here's the thing, Dick, back to George Bailey. Nothing changed about his life. That's right. But everything changed. Yeah. Right? If we can gain that perspective and just live with gratitude of how good we really have it. And and Mike, I just think like, you know, thank thank God for your mom and dad, Dick. You know, I think, you know, it's it's interesting. You know, you make you you make a habit of making the right decisions or trying to, right? I mean, we're on, we're not perfect. We're going to, we're going to hit the skids every once in a while, but we make a habit of making those right decisions and then showing people around us, you know, the, the, the power of those right decisions. And then you fast forward, right? I mean, it's funny, Dick, you said, well, you know, they they didn't necessarily teach it, but they lived it. And that just wore off on me. And then here you are and, you know, coming home from Vietnam and it's a crazy time. And, you, you know, you have all the right in the world to be upset and angry at people for the things that they say. But the, but we, we, we default back to that. What, what wore off on me, you know, and that is, you know, hey, I this is on them. This is how they feel. This is not not me. And yeah, there's a lot of people that could learn from that. Don't misunderstand. Inside, I was really upset. Sure, yeah. I had the opportunity to control the emotions a little bit more. Yeah. And I think that's that did more good because people tended to, you know, follow the way I was doing it. And I didn't necessarily lose too many people that way. And that's the way you got to play it that's an interesting comment as well. I mean, I think that when we, when, when we do the right things around or within a group of people, you know, sometimes we think like there's this mob mentality where everyone wants to just yeah. kind of pick up a brick and throw it through a window and light something on fire. I think that if someone does the right thing, there's just as many people that are, that want to stand up and follow that person who's doing the right thing. And I, and, you know, obviously we, you know, we, we, we could say, well, shoot, we wish more people were doing that. But I, I think about your organization. You say, well, I got 100, 150 people who want to do the right thing. Yeah, it's like moth to a flame, right? They yeah. see what Dick is doing. It's yeah. like, I want to be a part of that. Yeah. And we've, we've seen that in action. I had one uh, big, big soldier come back. He was like six foot seven. He came back 
And he came up to me and he said, you are the only person that has ever given me a hug. And it meant so much. You never know when wow. things are going to, you know, impact people. Yeah. So you just, you, you live your life the way you think is right. And it's bound to pay some dividends, you know? Well, and how do you, how do you do that? How do you provide the stability and raise four kids in that environment? Like, as, what do you attribute that to as you look back? Uh, I think the only thing I can attribute it to is the fact that, like my folks who brought us up in a stable home, we strove to give our kids as much stability as we could. Um, and I'll, I'll give you an example. The last 11 years, when the kids were growing up, I was at the same base. So you can make an assumption of how many times I moved early in my career when I didn't have children. So they didn't get the full brunt of moving around. I, uh, I, I turned down a lot of assignments because it would mean that I would move. And I just had to put my family first. And that, yeah. that helped. That yeah. Helped. So yeah. how do you, so Tyler, every once in a while, right, we have a, we have not national duty, but we've got things and we've got to got, we got to get in the car on an evening and go to a church meeting or something. And I, where I, I'm trying to be sensitive to make sure that my kids see that as a choice and it's not something I have to do. It's something I get to do. How did you teach duty to your kids without it being some bad word? Well, I think probably the fact that we would, be very open with them. We would tell them what, what we're doing, why we're doing it. And then on the times that I'm home, I made sure that we were with them. You know, hmm. wouldn't be every time, every hour of the day, but enough to keep them occupied. And of course, when I went away, I was uh, fortunate enough to be able to bring something home to them. I don't know if you call that bribery or not, but at least <laughs> they look forward to me going so i can bring them home something <laughs> that's great well it's funny i was in a meeting the other day and someone was talking you know there's all there's all this talk now about about balance right we got to find work-life balance and balance this and balance that and and someone said well i think balance is just being eager to go to work and eager to come home i like that definition you know i mean we, we have to do what we have to do but uh you know being being willing to be in the home and be around yeah. the people that we love yeah uh, is is huge it's huge it's actually very good yeah i just love that idea of the ability to to take care of the work that's in front of us but to still be able to come home and provide the example that that's needed i'm sh i'm certain i don't know but your 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 dad or your dad and mom worked right my dad uh, worked. My mom was a stay-at-home mom. Okay, so you've got that in those days, you know. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. So your your dad's working, but still coming home and and living the way that he lived, and providing that example to you it, with with your own kids. Do you see that same pattern taking place in their lives? Pretty much so. I, I can see that right now. It's a very hectic time uh, for my kids because they've all got younger children. Oh yeah. And I mean, there's lacrosse, there's soccer, there's football, there's baseball, uh, you know, you name it. And they're on the road a lot. That's my life right now, Dick. Yeah. yeah I get right. it. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So 
uh, it's pretty hard to say we're all going to have a family dinner at, uh, you know, six o'clock. But one thing we've got that really helps uh, is a thing called the swimming pool. And I'm the only guy that's got the swimming pool. So they all like to come to mama and papa's house on Sundays to sit down, play in the pool, and we play games. And so we have a bit of grounding there, you know? How do you, I can imagine, and I don't need to get into, I don't need to get into details, um, but dedicating 23 years of your life to, to service in the Air Force, you've probably seen some things that have made being a man of faith challenging. Yes. Right? How do you, how do you keep that faith? Uh, I actually found that it's, for me, it was a little easier to keep the faith. Uh, give you an example. I was, I was stationed for a year in Iceland and I was a uh, lay Eucharistic minister up there because our, our clergy couldn't make it all the time. He was going from site to site. And uh, when I saw uh, some of the things that I've seen, whether it was in Southeast Asia or Japan or any other place I've been, um, I didn't have a problem. Some of the guys did. Some of them, you know, it was almost like we let the dogs out and they're going to do whatever they want. Um, again, I put that back to a, a function of our upbringing. Um, somebody needed to take charge. And uh, I think that's why I did it. I, uh, I delivered a baby overseas. <laughs> okay, hold on. What? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, you know, no one's supposed to be pregnant when they go overseas, but unfortunately the cook was, or we just thought she was eating her own food. But sure enough, <laughs> she, was, uh, she was with child. Oh and, my goodness. You know, it was on Mother's Day that we had, uh, we had uh, and luckily everything went fine. But I mean, there's cer- certain things that you just have to rectify that you're going to be the voice of reason. And I don't know, that's what I was. Well, I, I find that I, I like that a lot. And I, you know, we, we, we talk about people. I think people are looking for that, Dick. You know what I mean? I, I think that, that it's not always the easiest thing, but I think that when we, when, when someone stands up, whoever that is, whether that's, Mike or you or someone else in a different situation, when someone stands up and, and, and does the, the right thing, I think people are inspired by that. I think, Mike, I think about, I can't remember which guess it was. It talked about, I think it was Dave Speck talked about just doing the next, the next right thing. Right. We, you know, we asked a guest, how do we get through it? How do you get through the hard things? He said, I just try to focus on the next right thing to do. And that's, that's it. You know? well, keep in mind, too, that that uh, I'm going to have to throw this in, that uh, when I was in the military, I was an officer uh, by virtue of the fact that I had a college degree and I, I went to officer training school. And the demands on an officer are quite a bit different than the demands on the enlisted people. And uh, the enlisted people are allow, allowed to have fun. Officers aren't. (laughs) (laughs) We're supposed to, you know, maintain some type of decorum. And uh, because of that, I think that that went a long way to ground us as well. Yeah. Yeah. The loneliness of leadership. Yeah. You know, 
sometimes it's not all that fun, but somebody's got to do it, you know? Yeah. When I think somebody's got to do it, honestly, Dick, is, is your life story. Yeah, I think, absolutely. I think that doors have been opened. Space has been opened in your life where there's a need. And a lot of people walk by and they, they may see that need and they just keep on walking. Yeah, that's very true. Right. And I think that I think that in your DNA, maybe, you know, uh, a couple episodes ago, we were talking about the gifts of God and maybe maybe <laughs> you've been blessed with that gift of charity where you step up and you see someone in need and you're not OK with it. Uh, I think that's a true statement. I think that's a true statement because we uh, we we want to do the right thing. And that's the way we do it. We we look for a person in need and uh, we say, let's see what we can do. Well, we'll shoot for 18 years, Dick. You've been you've been doing this this charity. I, I, I know I love that idea of just someone has a need and we just try to step up and, and do what we can for it. Right. It doesn't have to be a big thing. It doesn't have to be grandiose. It's just doing the doing the right thing. Your daughter calls, says, Hey, can you mail out a couple packages for some people? Yeah. yeah. Here you are 18 years later, <laughs> mailing Mail lots out. of packages. But, but you know, let, let me, let me say this, cause that's a very good point. We do it because we think we're, you know, helping the soldier. We are helping the soldier. Yeah. And that's kind of at the end of what we talk about. We're there to help the soldier. But what's been happening in the past years We've been called to Congress to, to tell them what the needs are over there. We've received the George Washington Medal of Freedom twice uh, for all our voluntary work. On and on and on. People have bestowed, you know, a plaque here or a certificate there. And because they say this is really good stuff. And yet all we're doing is filling a need. You yeah. Know? So I wish there were more people that would fill the need and make make our job a little easier, but that's what we do. Well, and I think that that's the idea, right? We don't have to do everything, but we can do something. Like I loved when you said you found a way that you can give. That's right. You know, and Tyler, that goes to that thought of like, lift where you stand. Yeah, right. Look around and say, what can you do? And I'm hearing Dick and I'm hearing Doug McMullen, right? And helping local homeless people and yeah. like see a need and I can't Still do everything, yeah. but I'm going to let my light shine and I'm going to try to do something. And then the cool thing is, is other people see that light and light begets light. Yeah, that's service right. Service begets service, right? Kindness and charity beget kindness and charity. And as you do this, it's like a, it's like a little snowball, right? That starts rolling. And now you're a million boxes in. Well, that's the and thing. And forget right? about the boxes. Honestly, Dick, I don't mean to be insensitive. Forget about the boxes. On the other end of every box, think about what that did. Yeah. I, 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 lo I love that thought. Dick, is, is there a, is, is there a, a story or experience that stands out to you um, in the last 18 years of mailing packages to service members? Let me tell you two real quick ones. Yeah. One is that in 2005, when I was in Iraq, I decided to visit uh, the hospital combat support hospital and I was uh, sitting on the edge of a bed of one of the 19 wounded soldiers that were in the room and the door opened up and a nurse came in carrying two big boxes 
from Operation Troop Support. And I was like a little kid, you know, <laughs> yeah. this system works. And I, I took a step back and I watched her and I watched them as she went from bed to bed to bed. And the expression on the soldiers' faces, regardless of what kind of pain they were in, they would look and say, oh, can I have that? I haven't seen one of those since I left. Please let me have that. And by the time I got through, I was weeping with joy. And I couldn't wait to get home and tell the folks, we got to keep doing this. The, the way it's impacting the soldiers. So that, that was a hands-on story that I actually saw. That's yeah. not just a hands-on, Dick. That's a hand of God. That's a providential thing. Yes. Yeah. That probably filled your wind, probably filled your sail with wind. Oh You're probably God. still riding on that. You don't know what that did to me, I'll tell yeah. you. The other one is just kind of a, a neat story. We decided to send Christmas gifts out uh, to the soldiers. And what we did, instead of sending a care package, my wife decided, why don't we go with an individually wrapped Christmas gift for each soldier that we're dealing with? So in September, I sent out letters to all the units that we deal with, which was in Qatar, Kuwait, Iraq, Afghanistan. And uh, I said, look, if, you, uh, if you're not breaking security uh, and you can tell me, tell me how many men and how many women you have in your unit and we'll send a Christmas gift to them. And they came back 17, 22, 24. And then there was this Marine that came back and said, I've got 3,000. And I'm thinking, Oh my Lord, how are we ever going to? <laughs> oh my goodness. Sorry, ad- I asked. <laughs> we put an ad in the paper and we said, here are six gifts that we would like to be donated for our soldiers overseas. And I knew I needed three to 4,000. And within a couple of weeks, I had over 10,000 sitting on my doorstep. Wow. So they came in. Now I had to wrap them. <laughs> so we made a public packing. And everybody came down, you know, like, remember in that scene in, uh, in, uh, oh, it's a wonderful life when they find out from George Benson that there's not enough money in the bank, he opened the doors and they came crashing. That's how it was that morning in trying to get in to wrap our Christmas gift. We got them all wrapped. And then I sent a letter to my Marine and I said, you've got 3000 gifts do you have any idea how big the boxes are going to be? Well, what are you going to do? You're supposed to be over there looking for the bad guy. and You're going to be snowed in with all of these boxes. And he said, don't worry about it. Please just send it to me. So we did. We sent them all 3,000 gifts. And that was in December. In January, he sent me a letter saying, thanks so much. Uh, don't send me any more. I'm coming home. I'm going to be a Camp Lejeune. And uh, I appreciate everything you've done. I went right back to him and I said, if you're ever in the Boston area, would you please look me up? I want to see the guy that I sent 3,000 Christmas gifts to. (laughs) And he said he would. That was in January. So February, March, April, May, June, July. In August, I got a call at 7 o'clock one night from this this person, this Marine. And he he says to me, you probably won't remember me, but uh, um, my name is so-and-so. And I laughed. I said, you know, there's not too many people 
that I send 3,000 Christmas presents to. I know who you are. So you said, I'm going to come up with my wife and little boy. If you're still having a family support group meetings, I'd like to be there Thursday night coming up from Carolina. And I said, you are welcome. So sure enough, that night came, he came in, talked about it. And somebody said, now, how did you get rid of all the gifts? And he said to me, he said to us, on the 23rd of December, I put all 20, all 2,000 on board Apaches and Blackhawks to send them out to the forward bases. That left 1,000. I put them in the back of a box, car, box truck, old Toyota box truck. And I grabbed a corporal who did not want to go with me. And I came out at, at 12.01 on Christmas morning. It's got to be on, on Christmas. And I was fully decked as Santa Claus from the hat, the belly, the boots, everything. So he got into the truck with the Santa Claus open on that his wife had sent him. And they had hot wired, hard wired, two big bullhorn speakers to the top of the truck. And when he put on his uh, cassette recorder to play Christmas music, you could hear that music for half a mile away. <laughs> so he played Santa Claus is coming to town, jingle bells, and he takes off into the Iraqi night. And uh, he left at 12, a little after 12, and he stopped at every outpost, every guard post, every unit on 122 square mile uh, trip. And uh, somebody said to him, were you scared? And he said, well, when you see you're a lone sentry out there and a box truck pulls up middle of the night and the door opens up and Santa Claus walks out and starts walking towards you with a box. And I was petrified <laughs> to the person when they saw it was a gift from home. They would break down and cry. So mm. we gave all of the, all of the, the gifts. And he said at six 30 in the morning, we rolled back in. And the corporal got out, never spoke to him again. <laughs> he said, the, the truck was empty, but it was bullet riddled. And he made it home safe. And when he got out, he looked up at the sky, the sky and he said, thank you, God, for allowing me to give them a gift. Every one of them to open right before breakfast. Isn't that wow. beautiful? That is that's an amazing story. That is an amazing story. You know, it's it's interesting because one of the questions, Dick, that's on that that's on that sheet, I think, that we send you is what gives you hope? And yeah. and as as you're talking, I'm just thinking what gives me hope is stories like this. You know, when you, you put an ad in a newspaper that says, Hey, we need three thousand or a couple thousand gifts, and you get ten thousand or whatever that number is, I mean just it just gives me such hope that there's good people that are, that, that want to do the right thing. And, and you, you know, the, your charity provides, has been such a vehicle for that. It, it has. And I've heard this say, statement so much. You provide a tangible way for us to say we care. Yeah. And that's yeah. it. Uh, I, I absolutely, I, what an amazing story. 3,000 gifts delivered in the Iraqi night to, uh, to troops that are away from home. 
what what does dick what gives you hope these days i think what gives me hope is that i am able to still be on this earth uh long enough to enjoy my children and their children uh i have a uh, medical issue that i got in um in vietnam and uh I'm 100% disabled, even though I walk around, everybody thinks I'm fine. My insides are kind of chewed up. So I would hope that I would have enough time left on God's earth to enjoy the little things in life that mean so much. I, I, I'm really curious about this, Dick. When, when you were, when, when your kids were younger, were you involved with them in any kind of charitable organizations, anything like that? Uh, we were always involved in scouting. I was a scoutmaster. Uh, uh, both of my boys are Eagle Scouts. All right. My son's an Eagle Scout. Yeah. Okay. My yeah. oldest son is a scoutmaster now. My daughter uh, is a uh, cub master. Um, so we, we were pretty heavy into, uh, into scouting. My other son, who was living in Nevada, he is in charge of all the Boy Scouts in Nevada, California, New Mexico. They, they have such a widespread there. Uh, he is right up at the top. So uh, scouting was a big one in our family. Um, we were uh, CCD teachers in our, in our school, uh, our church. Um, so that was another thing that we got involved in. Uh, we were big into the music education in schools. Uh, this is one time when my military training came in good because we had to be chaperones to the high school band down to Disney. <laughs> I, I lost my easygoing demeanor. Trying to get, that'll, yeah, I bet you, that, I bet you, I bet you hall <laughs> monitoring was pretty intense. <laughs> who the heck this guy was this <laughs> the, the Mr. Moody that we were but uh you know so we we got involved that way also well you know it's 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 interesting because i i'm just thinking about this you know the this whole story you know if we you know i i think back to you talking about your parents and and their example of of living a certain way and it rubbing off on you and and then you talk about you know the the involvement you had in in your church and in scouting and and your kids are still involved in that and but then i just think of the, your daughter who's who's serving as a nurse uh over in in iraq and she sees what's going on over there with with the patients and she picks up a phone and calls dad and says hey what can what can you do to help us out so we can get something in these hands you know, Dick, I, I can't help but think that that you and Christine lived a certain way that rubbed off on those four kids that uh, that that prompted your daughter to pick up a phone and say, "Hey, what can we do to help? Let's get something in these these people's hands." And and here we are, eighteen years later, uh, over a million packages. You know, I just I love that that idea of of just doing the, the right thing for the right reasons. And sometimes we don't necessarily know what the right reasons are, but we're just going to do the right thing. And uh, people's lives are touched, 
you know, you mentioned sitting on the edge of a bed in Iraq and, and 19 soldiers getting packages. And, and I, I can't imagine how much that little thing being handed to them changed their lives. And, and uh, I'm grateful to you, Dick, for your uh, stick-to-itiveness and just continuing to do the, the right thing. And, and there's people that are probably telling stories that have that about the packages that they received uh, while they were in a foreign country with not a lot of people around them. And and I just think that's a phenomenal thing that started out as a phone call from your daughter to, to changing people's lives. And I I love that, that story. Well, it's amazing. The other day I got a a letter, a thank you letter from a a general in the uh, uh, Manchurian army. I didn't even know Manchuria had an army. (laughs) And uh, one of our guys at a base where he was stationed gave him some of the stuff and he took the time to write a thank you note to it. Wow. You know, it's just incredible. And I I will tell you, I'm not going to dwell on politics, but one of the things that gets me so upset, I was sitting in on a radar site in Japan and we had a typhoon that came through and I watched the local village survive that and start to rebuild. And I wrote home to my wife one night, they're putting up a new house and it's actually got glass in the windows. And she said, what's so great about that? And I said, they never have glass in their windows. It's all open. Mm-hmm. And if you see the way some of these people live, you'd love to take, take some of the troublemakers in our country and say, look at what other people have to live with, you know, and love to be able to knock some sense into them. Yes, right. Hey, Tyler, you mentioned that, uh, that Colonel, Colonel Moody sitting on the bed. Can I just can I just tap into that a little bit, Colonel? Sure. Uh, I, I in preparation, just thinking about this, I know 122 people on average commit suicide every day in this country. Yeah. And latest numbers from the military from fourth from 2020 showed a 25 percent increase in suicide rate among among military. What would you say if I was a vet, if I was a serviceman? And you were sitting on my bed and I was thinking about quitting. What do you say to that person? That's, that, that's a very, very good question, Mike. I will tell you that um, it's very easy these days uh, for the post-traumatic stress to kick in. Very easy. And um, my, my daughter had it, for example. And uh, you need to be able to uh, provide some, some suggestions to them. It's very, very difficult to direct them to do anything, but you do need to be able to show them what is available. And nine times out of 10, they're not going to be too receptive to it, but you have to keep at it. You have to keep at it. Uh, 
one of the guys came back after 22 months in Iraq, living in the town next to me. I went over to see him the day after he got back. He was sitting on the sidewalk in front of his home. He lived alone. And he had two letters in his hand. And I said, Brian, what's going on? And he said, I don't know what to do. I've got a water bill and an electric bill. I don't have enough money to pay him. What should I do? And, you know, he went on to explain that for the last 22 months, he had one, one thing he had to do, go after the bad guy. Now he's got to make a decision and he couldn't hack it. And it was that simple little thing that is training the, the guys that are coming home now, guys and girls. So what would I do to try to try to help these guys out? Number one, I would absolutely know what's available. And I do. And more people need to know that. They need to know where the helplines are, what facilities are available, and who to call. And if they know that, then about the only thing they can do is talk to the guys, explain what's going on, and ask them, would you mind if I set up an appointment or I've got someone to talk to you? Other than that, it's pretty tough, tough to do. That's great. That's great advice though, Dick. I think that, you know, those just having that, that awareness and having those conversations is important, right? I mean, that somebody's, somebody's listening and there's, and that there's resources available. And, uh, you know, we, we talk, uh, we talk a lot about that, Mike, on this show. I mean, because there's a yeah, lot of people it's impacted about, by that. It's about people realizing that there's a reason to keep going. Yeah. You know, um, yeah. So we, we've talked, uh, we talked Dick about George Bailey and George Bailey finds himself on a bridge and he's just praying he wants to live again. Yeah. Right. I want to live again. And George Bailey's up there fictitious or not. He's, he's one of my archetypal just heroes. Right. And, and I got to tell you, Dick, you are an American hero, brother. Uh, I just commend you for the life that you're living. And, and when, by saying that, I put your wife right next to you, right? I've got you on the Zoom call, but I'd love to talk to Mrs. Moody too because the life that you're building and you're building on standing on the shoulders of, of good parents and good, good homes. And I commend you for seeing an opportunity to give the way you can give and a million boxes later, right? And still giving, Still going and, on, yep. Still and, going and, on. And Mike, and giving other people the opportunity to give as well. I, I just love that that idea. You know, you talk about moths to a flame, or you talk about the the snowball rolling down the hill. You know, I mean, I think that when when we when we make the choice to do the right things, people want to be there. That's right. Know? And I and and j- just in talking to 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 you dick tonight i just feel like you know we talked a little bit about hope but that's for me that's it you know there's so many good people and and unfortunately we hear about so much bad stuff that happens in the world and the reality is there's so many good people doing and they don't want to know they don't want it right (laughs) yeah that's right they don't they don't they're not calling up the news station saying come take a look at this (laughs) right it's the left hand doing what the right hand doesn't even know is doing it's about faith, hope, and charity. 
Yeah. You know, Tyler, we've been talking about keeping score in life, a million boxes, put that on your scoreboard, right? <laughs> like, yes. honestly, and, and, and it, and we ended up that conversation talking about, isn't it just about love? Yeah. And that's, that's all it. it is, right? Yeah. yeah. That's all it is. Dick just loves people and, and loves those soldiers. Like I could feel it. Yeah. I could feel it across the country and they could feel it across the world. So I've so, lived, you know, that's what makes it so important to me. I've been where they have, and uh, I know how important it would have been to me. You know, they never absolutely. really did care packages before Desert Storm. So this is something relatively new, and um, they, they really respond. They love it. That's yeah, a little, bit, a little bit from home yeah. when you're away from home means so much yeah absolutely right we've all been away from home and that little thing that comes it doesn't it doesn't take much to let people know that that you care that you're thinking about them so i got a whole uh, bunch of uh uh teddy bears what am i going to do with teddy bears so i send them over and i'm sure they're going to go ahead and give them out to the local orphanage because that's kind of a big thing there so i mentioned to one of the soldiers did you find an orphanage in, the, in your area? And he said, oh, no, no. We send these right back to our kids. Look what daddy sent me from Iraq. Oh, that's great. Means the world, you know? Yeah. You never know how things are going to be treated. That is a great, that's great. Wow. Yeah. Well, Dick, I could go on and on and on, but you're on the East Coast. <laughs> <laughs> I still, the sun's still up over here, but as we as we wrap up our time together, I I thank you for the way you showed up and for the lessons that you've shared with with Tyler and I, and by extension our our richest men in town family. As you think about it, you know Harry Bailey comes home war hero and he raises the glass at the end of that movie and toasts his big brother George as the richest men in town. Yeah, Colonel Moody, what does it mean to you to be the richest man in town? Oh, I'm. Uh... I can't tell you how happy I was that you guys reached out to me. And there's so many reasons for that. And one of the main reasons is what I said earlier. I've had the opportunity to think a little bit about some of the types of work you do. And it was such a blessing so that I could hear, I could, I could see what was going on. This was really important. Um, and you know, you don't need money to be rich, boy. And I feel like I am, I feel like I've been, I've been blessed. Some postage would be nice. <laughs> yes. That's right. Just some stamps. Now that you mentioned it. <laughs> well, I, I got to say, Dick, you know, you feel like you've been blessed. And the, the beautiful thing about, about living a rich life like that is there's a lot of people by extension who feel like their lives have been blessed because, uh, because of you. And, and, you know, it's, it's interesting, you know, Mike and I have been doing this, this podcast for a little while now, and we talk to a lot of different people and uh, I can't tell you how grateful I am to, to, to count Dick Moody as a friend of mine. And uh, I, I really appreciate your time with us tonight. Thank you, Tyler. It's very nice of you to say. And I just want to tell Drew Barrymore, we're coming for her. We'll see your thousand. We're going to put it out to the town, right? We're going to do what we can. We're going to do what we can to sustain your efforts, Dick. Okay. You keep going. You tell Drew to do that. 
she'll have lunch with me. I don't care. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Dick. And uh, and you keep going and we're gonna we're gonna definitely be in touch and we'll circle back and and uh, connect you with the content that we that we send out to you. Perfect, perfect. Thanks a lot, guys. All right. Appreciate Have a good night. We appreciate you. Bye-bye. Big brother George, the richest man in town. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>